I was really surprised when I first saw the rough version of it. There was something about being in a space that was confined and claustrophobic that I felt, actually, I've got an emotional response to it. And I'm learning about the incredible sacrifice that these tunnelers made. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. So, how can we go beyond the films, books and photos to learn more about the Cold War? Films are certainly evocative and inform us, but how can we go beyond that and immerse ourselves to see what it felt like to be there? The two technologies of augmented reality and virtual reality may allow us to do this. Robin Hardenberg is a Berlin-based filmmaker who has developed the Berlin Wall app, which uses augmented reality to bring the drama of the division of Berlin to those who are able to walk around the city. Patrick Furlong is head of Factual at Remarkable TV and has produced virtual reality content for YouTube's Virtually History series about the Berlin Wall. These programs allow you to immerse yourselves in key episodes of Berlin's Cold War history from your own home. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a written review in Apple Podcasts or share us on social media. By telling your friends, you can really help me get new guests. If you can spare it, I'm asking listeners to contribute at least three US dollars per month to help keep us on the air. Larger amounts are welcome too. Plus, you can get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a monthly financial supporter of the podcast, and you bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're preserving Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. So, back to today's episode. We welcome James, Robin, and Patrick to our Cold War Conversation. First, we're going to talk with Robin Hardberg who has developed the Time Traveller AR app for Berlin. In the episode notes online, there is a video from Associated Press which shows how Robin's incredible app works. So hello, Robin. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on Cold War Conversations. Hello, James. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, let's start by asking a, a simple question. What is augmented reality? Um, the augmented reality is a technology which allows you to put a layer of information on top of the real world. So I think the, the easiest analogy is probably these old books, which you know from Pompeii, where you have the ruins printed on a real page, and then you have an overlay of a see-through foil where you see the how the buildings used to be back in time. So it's basically allowing you to do that with your smartphone in the real world. So so you've taken this technology and you've put it into a Cold War context, and particularly a Cold War context to do with Berlin. Uh, yes, that, that's right. So what does the app allow you to do? So, for example, you're standing at the Bernauerstraße, which is where the wall was built, or one part of the wall was built. You can switch on your camera mode and you see everything which is going on now in 2020. And then you hold it onto window and you see how out of that window 
back in 1961, Frieda Schulze escaped from the east, which was the flat, to the west, which was the, the sidewalk underneath the window. So it's almost like looking through a magic piece of glass back into time. So that must have been quite difficult to find the footage and the location, match the two together, and then put it into the app. Was it was it difficult to do that? It's yeah. The, the challenge is that you that you have to find both. You have to find the footage, which is in itself exciting, and you have to find a piece in the real world which is still visible in the footage because you need to link the two together. And uh, it, sometimes you have amazing footage, but it was shot by professional cameramen who are driving through a truck through Berlin and they're shooting from two meters height. And that footage can no longer be used for our purposes because you need to align the perspective of the user on the sidewalk with the footage. So you need someone to shoot precisely from eye height. So you take footage that's shot in 1961 and around that time, and you map it into the application and give it a, ge a geographic tag so people can see what it looks like today. Where do you find that footage from? What were the sources? There are many different sources. One which was particularly fruitful for us was that in West Berlin, there, there was one person actually in the Landesamt who was responsible for shooting footage of political uh, importance. And he was a one-man team who had his own tripod. So he was shooting from the sidewalks all the important stuff that was happening. And that footage was very useful for us because it was actually on eye height and eyesight, which is now where the user is when he walks through Berlin. And he recorded many of the important footage of the building of the Berlin Wall and even some of the uh, escapes which happened. Now, I I've seen some of that footage and I've seen... Uh, a video of the app, although I must admit that I haven't used the app on one of my trips to Berlin. And it is truly impressive the way that you can see what is a blank wall at the end of a building today and see something jumping out of that window, you know, uh, all those years ago. I have to say, I, I still find the fact really startling because, you know, some of the foot footage I even knew beforehand and you know it in kind of black and white on a television set and somehow it's back in the past and you can't really connect it. And when you walk down the street and you know there used to be a wall here and people used to escape, it's also very abstract because now there's a green um, area of nature park and you, and you can't really grasp the history. But when you're standing there and you're looking through your phone and suddenly you see the footage reconnect to the building you're standing in front of, you're somehow transformed into an eyewitness because you see the woman escaping from your point of vantage point and you see her passing by you and, and both the footage and the location are both imbued with a, a deeper meaning. So, so it sounds like you can become an eyewitness to history again and again and again. For me, that very much is the effect. It really has a different quality because you, you, you're standing at the right the same position and you really see what happened here back in time. And I, 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 to this day, I find it a very magical experience. What was it that made you 
set out to build the app and to use the technology. Are you a passionate Cold War historian? I know you're a Berliner. But what was it that prompted you to do it? No, not, not really. To be honest, I saw a TED talk about the technology and uh, was startled. I, I'm, I'm a filmmaker by trade and I, I knew the, the idea of tracking something in film material and exchanging it with something else. But that you can now do it in real time with your iPhone and the possibilities which that open up uh, fascinated me. And back then, people only used it to exchange pictures with films. And I thought it would be fascinating to take a slice out of reality, which for the camera is also only a picture, and to exchange that with old video footage. And I, I grew up in Berlin myself, and I've been here when the Berlin Wall came down on the, and 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 so the it was very natural to use Berlin for that kind of technology. How old were you when the when the wall came down? Uh, I was twelve. And what do you remember of that period? Well, I, I mean, I remember, I was awoken by my parents, and then we drove to the Brandenburg Gate, and it was I don't know eleven o'clock at night or something. And I remember the, the the festive mood and how you were standing close to the wall, and then you when you pulled up your arm, the people who were already sitting on the wall were, were kind of pulling you up, and. And even then, being 12 years old and not realizing a lot of the general politics, you very much were sens sens sensibilized for for politics and, and the bigger movements of, of history at that point. And um, yeah, no, it was an amazing experience. <laughs> I think certainly uh, Berlin has is learning to live with its Cold War past. When I visited it in uh, December, there are you know, more and more rides, tours, things to see linked to the Cold War every time I go. Yes, it's, I mean, it's, in a, in a way, it's, it's weird that so much has been lost so rapidly after the reunification. I mean, the, the Berlin Wall is a good example because it was such a hated object. It was more or less demolished completely from... Uh, from Berlin, I mean, you've got two or three parts in Berlin where you still have a little bit of the Berlin Wall, which you can look at. But it's very hard to understand how it all worked and where it actually went. And even now, people don't really understand. Am I in the West now? Am I in the East? Because it wasn't a straight line which went through the yes. city. So, so it's quite hard to, 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 to grasp what it was like. And these new kind of technologies really help you to, to bring it back to life and to make you understand. And uh, I think that that is the greatest gift they, they offer. So as you find new footage, do you update the app and uh, give people more perspectives to be the eyewitness into history? The app works a little bit as a walk through time. So we start with the building of the, of the, uh, uh, of the wall And then you progress along as you're walking along the wall through time as well. And now I would like to extend it geographically because at the moment all the positions are at the Bernauer Straße, um, but also through time till the unification. And uh, so I, now I watched all the footage because there's a lot of uncut footage of cameramen who were basically filming through the whole night of the 9th of November without turning off their camera. 
and it's I mean it's just an amazing uh, moment in time and and to to witness it to be part of it is is um, an exciting project. And when do you think that project is going to reach fruition, or is it always going to be under development as you find new footage? So there are different kind of problems which I mentioned early on. So for example, the Brandenburg Gate, all the footage which was shot was shot pretty close to the wall, much of the footage from the western side. And now there are four streets with cars going in that area. So you've got a street right in front of the Berlin Gate, of the, of, of the Brandenburg Gate. So most of the footage which was shot at those locations can't be used. It's like they fall into a river because you would have to stand in the middle of the road in order to align them for, for, for the optical illusion to work. So there the are different kind of problems to solve. Um, but there's still enough footage which you can link in it, which should be exciting to do. That reminds me of when Pokemon Go was all the rage and they were saying people not to walk off railway platforms in the search of their Pokemons to capture. So, yeah, I don't think you want yes. to be caught in that kind of situation. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah. Basically, you, you should be doing it all over the world and all the kind of important moments of of history should be available to to people to witness in the moment so you could have the i don't know the 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 liberation of paris from the americans after the second world war and i mean all these kind of great moments where you have footage original footage you could relink and make available to to everyone to to see at the locations Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week to be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War. As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. And I would have thought as footage becomes more available, as smartphones proliferate, then that becomes slightly easier to do. I, I think so, absolutely. I mean, augmented reality is an umbrella term, and you have different kind of technologies to create the illusion. And I don't know, the, the easiest one is just to specify geographically roughly the area where you want to have an overlay. And then you have the next step where you track something into it while the computer sees it for the first time, which is the Pokemon Go, which is slightly better. And then you have the real optical tracking, which really links something to a place which you tracked beforehand. And this is what we did. And at the time, you thought it wouldn't be possible to do it under outside conditions because the light changes and the weather changes and the leaves changes. And that's too hard for the computer to recognize it again and again but all these kind of problems are solved more easily and by now and so it will be much easier to augment all of the world readily for everyone to see where can our listeners 
find the app? Well, at the moment, we're expanding it. So it's not available in the App Store uh, of Apple or in, in the Google Play Store. These are the both locations where you will get it once it's going to be relaunched. So will you let us know when it's available and uh, we'll make sure that we let everybody or our listeners know? Yes, absolutely. And and, and I'd be delighted if, if it would help your listeners to bring history into life. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Now, I have to ask you one question as a Berliner and given your knowledge and experience of the Cold War, what are the uh, the two places you think visitors to the city should most visit to understand that period? Which are your favorite places to go? Well, funnily enough, I mean, first it's the Bernauer Straße. This is uh, where, where part of the Berlin Wall is still viewable and you have the museum about the history of the Berlin Wall and you have a large area, kind of a park, where you see where the wall was and you see where the routes were, where people escaped. And I think that's very helpful for, for an understanding. And then the other one, this m might be letter because it's one of the most famous locations, but actually I think the Checkpoint Charlie and the museum of Checkpoint Charlie is really good. Um, and people laugh about it because like a Madame Tussauds is a very touristy place. But if you go inside, you actually see how people escaped over the Berlin Wall And I find it's it's a very touching and moving experience because you see what the human spirit was able to overcome. And it's always very private stories, how individuals made their ways and for whom they did it that. So uh, I think those two are uh, good places to start. That, that's great local intel. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Robin. Thank you, James. So today we're also with Patrick Furlong, who is an executive producer at Remarkable TV, who specializes in factual programs. And he has done three 360-degree films, virtual reality films, on various parts of Berlin during the Cold War. And uh, we're very glad to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you. Oh, you're most welcome. So can we start with a very simple question? What is virtual reality? Well, virtual reality is um, best seen perhaps compared to augmented reality. So augmented reality is about adding something artificial into the real world. So it's putting an object that is not real into the real world, whereas virtual reality is creating an entirely uh, alternative world. So you can experience in complete 360 a completely different world. So you've created uh, three films that can be viewed in 360 degrees. Can you firstly tell us about each of the three films? Absolutely. So um, as part of this series, we wanted to try and tell the story of the Berlin Wall from three different historical time periods. Um, so our first film is all about the very first few days of the wall. And before the wall was a wall, it was just a barbed wire uh, strip, essentially, cutting through Berlin. People didn't really know if it would become a wall. Um, and we found an incredible story of a family that decided to flee. Uh, a lot of families didn't, and 
uh, were trapped when the wall actually became a wall. Um, and so the first film is all about uh, an incredible story of a family that decide in the sort of blinking of an eye to escape from east to west. Um, and it's an amazing story because the situation of their apartment was right on the border between east and west. And actually, when you stepped out of their front door, that was West Berlin, but inside their apartment was East Berlin, uh, which was completely crazy. Um, and so they could see freedom through their window, uh, but they were in the east. Um, and what was happening was that the Stasi were going through this building and boarding it up so people couldn't escape. Uh, and they decided to, in a sort of blinking of an eye, jump out the first floor window with the possessions that they could carry uh, and in that moment, they'd escaped and lots of families were left behind. Um, and it sort of tells you something about how crazy and arbitrary that wall was, that you could be in a situation where your home was in East Berlin, but you'd step out your front door and you'd be in West Berlin. Two completely different worlds. Um, and so the first film sort of explores that, really. It takes us into that apartment and it tells the story of what happened on the day and what was going through the minds of the families that were trapped in the building and the sort of incredible moment where uh, they did decide to leave and um, they had escaped uh, what would become, you know, a 30-year uh, division. How did you find that story? These stories came through photographs. That was our primary source. And there's a very famous photograph of a family fleeing across the streets in the very first few days that the wall went up. Um, and you can see the sort of drama and you can see the sort of panic in the family. And that was our starting point. We wanted to find out what was really happening. Uh, and we managed to trace the actual relatives of the people that were in that photograph, which was kind of extraordinary. Um, but we thought it was such an interesting way of just capturing that sense of uncertainty, that sense of panic in the first few days of the wall, um, but through a very sort of personal story. So it wasn't a political story, but it told you a lot about how real people felt and the decisions that they had to make, the sort of life and death decisions they had to make in that split second when the wall first went up. I should say that all of Patrick's films, uh, which were produced for YouTube's original commission of Virtually History, are available in the show notes. Um, we'll talk a little bit later on about how you can watch those, what sort of kit you need. But tell us about the second film. So the second film um, is equally extraordinary, uh, and it's about an audacious uh, tunnelling expedition that helped rescue 57 people from East Berlin. Um, and it was, um, it was a sort of truly extraordinary thing to research. So we found a photograph of a young man who was in the basement of a bakery in West Berlin. Uh, and we looked into it in more detail and we discovered that he was a student activist, uh, and with a group of friends uh, over, I think, six months, uh, and largely by hand, dug a tunnel from West Berlin into East Berlin uh, and managed to rescue 57 refugees from East Berlin over two nights. Um, I think these guys were in their early 20s, uh, and they were so dedicated to 
helping people in the East, even though, you know, they had a comfortable life in the West, uh, that they were prepared to risk their lives because, uh, the Stasi were also at this time hunting for tunnelers and the stories of tunnelers being shot. The Stasis had their own tunnels, which was quite extraordinary. So it was a real game of cat and mouse. But we managed to uh, find the guy in the photograph um, and he gave us lots of information about the specific dimensions of the tunnel and how they dug it. Um, and so what the film allows you to do is experience that tunnel essentially so we can go into the basement of the bakery which is on Bernaustrasse in uh, West Berlin um, and then we can go into the actual tunnel and get a sense of what it would have been like to be in this extraordinary cramped environment you know digging for six months um, and to pop out the other side and to get a sense of the danger of being you know in East Berlin uh, at a time where there was a lot of suspicion, obviously, and, you know, if you were caught, this, the consequences were incredibly serious. But it's an, ama- it's an amazing story about sort of human courage um, and the sort of, I guess, the everydayness of it, that these guys just wanted to help but were prepared to do something completely extraordinary to do so. Um, and we felt it was a really powerful story and told you something about the spirit of the people and so that film enables you to sort of get a visceral sense of what that was all about that sounds fascinating and, and uh, in terms of the third film it so the third film deals with the fall of the wall um and the key part of that film really is to get a sense of what the wall ulti- ultimately became which was uh, this thing called the death strip. So it literally was a killing zone, a sort of no man's land between east and west. Um, and it's so hard to imagine now that Berlin was divided in this way that you had a border that was sort of comparable to North Korea with, uh, guards that would shoot on site, uh, with, uh, landmines, with attack dogs in what we see now as a very cosmopolitan place, um, very liberal place. And so there was a real kind of interesting juxtaposition. So you see the wall at its worst, at its height, at its most highly militarised, but then we quietly, quite quickly move on to see the wall at its best in a way because at the point where it comes down, it's about the people coming together to you know, affect change and this sort of incredibly powerful photographs of people chipping away at the wall, uh, you know, just with hammers that they've taken from home, but it is incredibly symbolic. So the second half of the film tries to capture a little bit of what that moment was like. And there was a sense of nobody really knew what was going to happen. People didn't know if the East German border guards would shoot, but they didn't. Um, and then that, that sort of joyful, moment where it does come down and it just feels like it's the will of the people uh, has overcome uh, the sort of narrow-minded politics of sort of outdated regime. I, I should explain to, to, to everybody that when you watch a virtual reality film, it's unlike watching any other kind of film. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit in a minute about how you watch it, but suffice to say that if you turn your head left and right, you turn your head left and right inside the film. It is a very immersive experience. And I have to say of all the films, the film of the Death Strip was the one that I found 
um, most compelling because it was most shocking because you're sitting there in a very empty space and I go from you know sitting in my kitchen at home to being transported immediately to this kind of environment and I think that virtual reality has an amazing ability to bring history and particularly Cold War history when we have the footage and the stories you know readily accessible right into people's uh, homes. Yeah absolutely I think it is that immersion that level of immersion uh that you cannot get from watching a standard documentary and it's not about finding out about what it was like it was sort of feeling what it was like really and to just get a sense of how eerie it was and how kind of oppressive it was but the fact it was in berlin in the center of berlin i think that's that's the real power of virtual reality i would say is to transport you back there and to give you an emotional experience as well as a you know a learning experience i think it's emotion and learning together and i think that's a really powerful combination and then you produced a fourth film is that pulling together the stories the kind of behind the scenes part of it so the fourth film is a conventional documentary that uh explores some of the themes in the 360 films in a little bit more detail but also quite importantly what we were able to do is find uh, modern relatives of people that were caught up in some of these uh, situations so uh, we managed to find uh, the grandson of the man who built the tunnel tunnel 57 uh we managed to find the granddaughter of the woman who was fleeing across the street in that famous photograph on Bernardstrasse. Um, and we managed to find um, a relative of uh, a very famous photograph or a person in a very famous photograph waving the Berlin, waving the German flag aloft when the wall comes down. So we were able to take those young people through that VR experience as well. And so the film sort of showcases what happened when these people that sort of heard tales about, you know, their grandfather or grandmother in these extraordinary situations, we were able to take them back to experience it themselves, uh, which was incredibly powerful, actually, because they could connect to the story in a completely new way. So I think the, the most exciting element was to take the grandson of the guy who built the tunnel into the tunnel. Wow. Uh, because he just heard stories and he thought, oh, it's my old granddad, you know, he's always got these tall tales. And for him to actually live it and to understand the danger and the sacrifice uh, was incredible. And so, again, that's the power of VR. But the documentary sort of takes a step back and follows other people experiencing the VR and seeing how they can connect to the stories in a completely new way. It's certainly a very powerful moment when one of the relatives of the women escaping in the first uh, film says, I saw my grandmother eye to eye for the first time yeah. and understood what she went through. Yeah. And I think that taking people to that space and that realisation is amazing. And it's a very good use of the technology. Absolutely. So I think that there's, there's a sort of conception that um, technology is always quite cold and it's technical and VR is quite technical but actually if done in the right way it can be very emotional and that's I think the key for all of these things is that it would be very easy to create a VR reconstruction of a historical scene uh, 
But it's about the story and the connection to that story because that's where you get this sort of lovely synergy where you're in that environment and you can look round and you can look above and you can look below and you think you're there. Uh, but there's something deeper about connecting to the people that were there at the time and it might be a relative, it might not be. But that, I think, is a new way of uh, thinking about history, actually. And it, as I said before, it's it's about connecting on an emotional level as well as a learning level so let's be practical for a minute though so there are links to these three films or actually all four films in the show notes how do i then uh, watch the virtual reality films uh, on my smartphone at home okay so uh so first thing you want to do is go to youtube and type in virtually history uh, you'll see uh, the main show, which is uh, a 28-minute show, and you'll see uh, also links to the 360 uh, videos. Um, what you need to do is you can download the YouTube app if you want to, or you can stream it from YouTube on your smartphone. But the key thing is you need Google Cardboard, uh, which just costs a few pounds. Um, and it's very, very simple. So you put your phone in the back of this Google Cardboard. It is literally a piece of cardboard. Um, and there's an attachment, so you can put it to your eyes, essentially. And it works with all the gyroscopes that are in a camera phone. So when you look left, you're, the camera's moving left when you look right. So, so it's as simple as putting your phone into a box uh, and then you can press play and it will play the 360 film uh, and you can be in the tunnel or you can be in the death strip or you can experience what the war was like in the first few days um, and a narrator will take you through on a sort of extraordinary immersive journey. I have to say when my Google Chrome, uh, Google Cardboard rather, um, um, arrived and I thought, you know, what use is this? But if you do, just simply with a piece of Velcro, put your smartphone in the back, you, you shut it up, you look through the lenses and you're immediately transported. It is a very, very clever device. It is, it is. And it's incredibly simple, but it's, you know, smartphone technology is actually very sophisticated and it's, um, it's yeah, it's essentially as simple as a phone, but you can have an entire VR experience and, there's lots of other ones on YouTube that you can have a look at. But um, as I say, it's it's about trying to engage in a story as well as the wonder of being in a 360 virtual environment. And I think when those th two things come together, that's when the kind of medium of VR becomes really powerful. So just going back to the production side of things, mm -hmm. Throughout the whole production process, from the first commission to, to the publishing, what was the one thing that you came across, learnt, saw that amazed you the most throughout that process? Being in that tunnel was very interesting because I wasn't expecting it to feel claustrophobic and to feel dangerous and... I was really surprised when I first saw the rough version of it. Um, I thought this will really work. And actually, what an amazing way of telling a historical story to be in it, to live in it. And there was something about being in a space that was confined and claustrophobic that I felt, actually, I've got an emotional response to it. 
and I'm learning about the incredible sacrifice that these tunnelers made. Um, and those two things together, I thought that's that's the sort of sweet spot. That's really exciting. So I think the tunnel story is incredible in its own right. Um, it's truly incredible. The fact that they dug this for six months um, and they were students and they just thought, let's do it because uh, we kind of believe in it. And compare that to the modern day, I think, well, it's just almost incomprehensible. Um, and the sort of modesty of the people that did it, they sort of put it down to, well, you know, we're not brave. We just sort of, it was a thing people were doing, but it's incredible bravery, really. Um, and the fact that so many people were rescued uh, is truly extraordinary. So that, that story blew my mind, but I think just that sense that I could have some small part of it and feel what it was like, I think that was the sort of more revelatory moment in terms of the technology. How did you ensure the historical accuracy of the films? So it's a good question. So photographs is really the answer. So primary primary photographs is really, really important. So um, we did very, very thorough research to work out exactly what the dimensions of the tunnel was, you know, exactly what the buildings looked like, what the height of the wall was at a different period, because the wall was gradually, you know, increasingly militarized over years and years and years. And so you know, if we were in 1984, we don't want to have a wall from 1972 because somebody would know. Um, and that's quite tricky, actually, because it's constantly evolving. They're constantly um, evolving the wall, pouring money into it. I think they sort of ran out of money in the end, but um, it was sort of mad. There was an obsession with just making it bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but we went to uh, lots of different uh, picture archives, Getty being one, but um, a lot of German archives as well. And then we used archive photographs from uh, the people themselves, actually. So when we traced um, Wolfgang, who uh, dug the tunnel, he provided us with lots of additional photos that I don't think have ever been published, um, which gave us the exact cross-section of what the tunnel looked like it gave us the basement from which they built the initial kind of staging of the tunnel um we knew that there was a shaft that was exactly six meters long with a rope and a pulley um and so we created a sort of collage if you like of all these images and then we used those so our, our visual effects artists used those to create the 360 world in as much accuracy as possible so it must be very time and pain, time-consuming and painstaking process. It, it is, absolutely. So the um, the process of building the virtual world is incredibly time-consuming because there's so much detail in it and it requires lots of different people working simultaneously on it. So somebody will be doing the rendering of the buildings and making sure the buildings look correct and then you need to put in just the simple things like the street furniture has to be authentic and yeah. so you need to know what a lamppost looks like in 1970s Berlin and you can't you know some of these things you can actually buy off the shelf but somebody has to make that and then put that in and then the tree what kind of tree is it well it has to be a particular type of tree so um, that is really 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 time consuming and the model becomes very very complex and sophisticated um, but it's important because um, you want to have um it, it needs to feel like a kind of valid piece of history rather than a computer game. I think that's the, that's the key difference. And so um, there's a huge amount of work that goes into 
building the world and making sure it's accurate. And do you think the technology is going to develop over time to become even more photorealistic in its immersiveness? Absolutely, absolutely. So a lot of it is down to just processing powers of computers. Um, So uh, already technology has moved on since we made it. and the photo realness of it um, will improve, um, and it's. It, it, I, I don't see any limit to it really, because the way that these um, c- computer programs work is they mimic the sort of physics of the real world, and so you're creating a simulation of the real world. Um, and the more computing power you put into it, the more accurate it becomes, like the reflections and the shadows and, you know, what a surface looks like and how much light it absorbs. All of that is in the program. It's incredible. Um, and it's sort of unstoppable because computers are becoming faster and faster and faster. Um, we'll reach a point where it's indistinguishable from the real world. I think if it becomes too much more realistic, I probably wouldn't want to leave, but... Well, yeah, you wouldn't know which world was which, would you? There we got the, the next um, next horror film. <laughs> um, are there any plans to make any more episodes? Um, so, yes, yeah, so we've been we've been talking about um, a few other um, episodes. Um, we haven't finalised those, but I think the technology lends itself to lots of different um, subject matters. Um, I think it works really well when you've got a place that you want to reconstruct and then stories that sort of play out in that place um so you can imagine a battle being quite an interesting experience um you can imagine um a building that maybe no longer exists being an interesting um place to explore um so yeah we are um working on a number of different ideas but we haven't finalized uh the next next one to do yet so there we have it an augmented reality app for when you're next out exploring key sites of the Cold War in Berlin, and a series of virtual reality programs so you can immerse yourself in Berlin's Cold War past from the comfort of your kitchen. The show notes contain much more information and all the links you need to get started. So our thanks to Robin and Patrick for sharing with us the technologies that help us to experience the Cold War in new and exciting ways. And we have further photos, videos and information on this episode in our show notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Don't forget, if you'd like to get one of those Cold War Conversations coasters, help keep us on the air, then head over to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. And if you can't wait for the next episode, do visit our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War Conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye.
not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.